all these ghost stories, Andy. I swear to God, if it brings up anything in this 140-year-old house of mine, I'm going to kill you. It wasn't my gentle with Leelines. Yeah, but you've got all the ghost stories. If there are any ghosts here, they've been shockingly quiet for five years, and quite frankly, I was expecting something at some point. But they hear all these ghost stories and think, oh, Elise likes ghost stories. Well, then she's going to love us. And now I have to deal with ghosts? I'm going to be so Welcome to the new episode of Rabbit Holes Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Elise. And I'm the other host, Andy. Andy, we're up to episode 11. Woohoo! The palindrome of episodes. Same backwards as forwards. Which I guess doesn't say much, it's just two ones, but there you go. <laughs> oh dear. I know. It's, uh... Oh, Elise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something I said to Dan. Both Dan and I said last night when... Oh, yes. <laughs> so, we at dinner. my weed finally came in the mail. So, I was super excited to come home and, after a massage, have a joint and relax and enjoy. I found out two things. One, uh, I hate smoking anything. It hurts and it's disgusting. And two, uh, it is really hard to finish at a joint all by yourself when you're alone and you hate smoking. Uh, even when you don't hate smoking and you're alone, it's pretty intense to finish an entire joint well, yourself. Well, now I know. Yeah. So I got weed cooking in a slow cooker and some coconut oil, and that's going to be my delivery method moving forward, I think. So, But I will say, it was nice and relaxing. I watched a few episodes of Big Mouth last night, and while I enjoyed the show the first time I watched it, I really enjoyed it last night, <laughs> and uh, fell asleep and completely passed out and missed, like... Netflix stopped playing itself. It's like, dude, you okay? And I was just like, no, I must go to bed now. Ah, illy sleepy. Yes, very much so. It was high CBD, so it was really nice and relaxing. The stuff I have cooking is a mix. It's an equal blend of CBD and THC, so it's going to be my fun time dosage. And the stuff I have coming in the mail next week is like all CBD, no THC, all sleep, <laughs> all the time. And I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, I told Elise that I'd buy her bong. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah. Because that's much easier. You can put in just a little amount. Right. It's a much, if you're not actually smoking anything, you're just inhaling mm -hmm. vapor. So you're not smoking. Like, it's not as harsh because yeah. it goes into water. Uh, Dan was also really, like, she doesn't know how to make a bong out of, like, a Pepsi bottle. Like, I'm you do that shit. Cool. Like, at all. I was not one of the cool kids growing up. So, no. Yes, I could have YouTubed it, but. I'm now really regretting the $15 box of pre-rolled cones that I bought on Amazon when I was like, I'm going to be a big smoker. I am not going to be a smoker at all. So if anyone wants a box of 32 king-size pre-rolled cones, just hit me up and I'll send it to you. And you can have it for 10 bucks. And this is the local Kijiji network. <laughs> Amplified. Always. <laughs> so on that note, uh, I think it's probably time to jump into some housekeeping. Yes. So you can reach us uh, at our fantastic web page that Elise manages. Yeah. Uh, at rabbitholespodcast.com. Uh, you can reach us at email, which also Elise manages. Yeah. At rabbitholespodcast at gmail.com. I do occasionally pop my head in there. Okay. <laughs> uh, we You can reach us at Twitter at rabbitholespodcast, which also Elise manages. And you can reach us at... On Facebook, which I manage, so yeah. yes, if you're wondering what I do, uh, Rabbit Holes Podcast page, um, Instagram at Rabbit Holes Podcast, which I also manage, but we do both poke our heads in there occasionally. Yes. I just don't touch Twitter with a 10-foot pole, because I'm... Wisely so. It's yeah. probably the worst part of humanity at this point, not saying something. Uh, also, if you wouldn't mind heading over to iTunes and or Stitcher or wherever you're getting this podcast and leaving us either a good review or a good rating, it would be very much appreciated. We are getting some good traction and we're hearing great things from you guys. Uh, let us know what you think and help us get our name out there. That would be great. Woohoo! So, on to today's stories. Uh, if you listened to last week's spooktacular Halloween Ooh. episode... 
You may remember that Andy is doing a cross-country tour on all things spooky through Canada, and she is up to Manitoba. So Damn. we have Manitoba yeah, eastwards. I had to do the never eat shredded wheat in my head uh, <laughs> real fast. Uh, so Andy, take it away and let us hear the rest of the spooky stories from Canada. Yes, so we're uh, bookending Halloween, so Halloween's on a Wednesday, so our first Halloween episode comes out on Sunday before Halloween, and this will come out the Sunday after Halloween. Uh, Dan and I were at a Halloween party last night, and there were some fantastic costumes. Nice. And uh, I'll be probably posting at some point the picture of the head made out of prosciutto. Oh, that's what it was. I think so, yes. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, as a Halloween picture. So you guys... I knew it was some sort of meat, and I was just I like... I think it was prosciutto. Uh, you should post a picture of Dan as uh, yes, Ventura. <laughs> yeah, so uh, my husband went as Ace Ventura, and I went as uh, Inspector Gadget. They both did very well. Yeah, we enjoyed the... Uh, the party a lot. Um, we had a really awesome room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we had a fantastic corner room. Ooh. And our parking was even paid for. Well, Dan's parking was paid for. I didn't try to get a second parking because right. I thought that was pretty whatever. Gauche. <laughs> the whole night cost us $13 in our right. dinner, so, which we didn't need to eat because there's a ton of food there, but I was really hungry, so we ate early. But uh, yeah. So get back into our ghostly stories. <laughs> Manitoba. So I've actually been at this hotel. We did an event there a number of years ago. So the Fort Gary Hotel, which is beautiful. Like, it's a beautiful outside. And honestly, their ballroom, their two ballrooms are spectacular. Nice. One is called the Casino Room, which used to be Casino. And I swear to God, you feel like you're in Montenegro or something mm. in, like, Casino Royale. Like, huh. uh, just spectacularly beautiful room. The uh, So this hotel was built in 1913 by the Grand Trunk Pacific Railway. Okay. Back to my saying that we're touching on a lot of hotel, railway hotels. hotels yeah. yeah. Uh, like the Fairmont Van Springs Hotel, Fort Gary was a real draw, played host to many famous guests, including Queen Elizabeth, King George VI, uh, Lawrence Olivier, uh, Louis Armstrong, Armstrong and Liberace, to mention a few. The Fort Gary Hotel is now a national historic landmark with history as long uh, with history that long, you know it's haunted. Of course. Like the Bam Springs, it has a haunted room. <laughs> room one. yeah. Room two oh two to be exact. It is said that a woman apparently committed suicide in the room many years ago after hearing of the death of her husband in a car accident. Hmm. Overcome with grief, she hung herself in the closet. Ugh. Yeah, staff have reported seeing blood dripping down the walls upon entering the room. Guests have witnessed the apparition of a woman in a cloak hovering at the foot of their bed, and some guests claim they were woken by the sensation of someone getting into bed with them. <laughs> if you're not John Hamm, you stay out. Like, <laughs> the Hamaconda? The Hamaconda is welcome. All other comers are asked to kindly announce themselves. <laughs> A young boy who was on a trip with his family organized by Make-A-Wish wanted to stay in room 202. Oh my god. He was fascinated with the whole thing and decided to take some pictures of the room with his film camera. So after getting the photos developed a couple months later, all the photos from the trip turned out apart from the rooms in and around room 202. The boy was said to be thrilled believing spirits (laughs) in the room were just camera shy and didn't want to be seen. The uh, woman associated with room 202 is also said to haunt the hotel lounge. She has been witnessed by staff and guests alike. They're often crying in the corner. Again, she just lost her husband. It's really interesting that Make-A-Wish gets a request for a haunted, and they're just, they roll with it. I mean, I guess it's hard to say no to a really sick kid, but like... Hey, like, (laughs) you do you, kids. Yeah. (laughs) Because you know, like, a lot of these podcasters the paranormal they're like yeah we've been into like look but just think true. how many times you did bloody mary on like sleepovers or if you were in the christmas concert and you guys were just let to like run wild in the school before your like scene took place this seems like a very specific story to andy's yeah. life but okay yeah <laughs> it's a very specific story to andy's life uh, yeah, they didn't really watch us too much. They, we just knew that we, you know, that fifth grade. Oh, the good old days. Yeah. Now all these parents insist that children be supervised all the time. Yeah. Well, we couldn't go anywhere. It was a <laughs> dildo. Like, it's not like we could get up too much trouble. trouble. <laughs> um, so now on to Ontario, which uh, Manitoba had a bunch of stories, too. I just picked the, because that one was pretty good. 
with the room 202 and I had actually been at the Fort mm-hmm. Carey Hotel beautiful hotel again like but of course it's haunted it's old, old. <laughs> Ontario so this one um, was also I think most of these mm-hmm. uh, stories of ghosts specifically have been done by Creepy Canada okay. but I went and actually verified them so uh, the list of show notes for this was on a tire page <laughs> Of links. Uh, so this is the post office in uh, Gaul, Ontario, now Cambridge. It was designed by Thomas Fuller, the architect who sketched uh, and designed the Parliament buildings, and was built in 1885. From 1898 until his death in 1919, William Turnbull was the postmaster. At some point in the late 1910s, William and his wife employed a young woman named Emily as a cleaner. And as you guessed it, William and Emily started became caught up in a love affair. This was an affair that they both, especially William, tried very hard to keep out of the public eye. <laughs> According to lore, Emily threatened to go public with the news of their affair, and depending on the story you hear, she was either pregnant, angry that he would not leave his wife, or just tired and weary from guilt and deception. <laughs> William's reaction was said to be cold and angry, and the next day, Emily was found dead of an apparent suicide hanging from a rafter in the bell tower. Yowzas. A few days later, William was found dead in his room. Cause of death may be, causes of death were maybe suicide and a broken heart, murder or a guilty, and a guilty conscience, or maybe William's wife killed them both. Who knows? Lots of pretend, depends on the story you yeah. hear. Is, and the one you want to tell yourself. Yeah. Yeah. So both Emily and William's ghost is said to still haunt the building. When the Fiddler Green pub was open to the staff, a number uh open uh this is the this pub was still open when they did the creepy um canada episode but it is now closed and actually the whole building has gone a massive renovation it was derelict about to fall down when the city bought it and uh fixed it up it's quite beautiful like um uh, quite gorgeous now it has like a whole glass structure built onto it Uh, it's all eco-friendly it's quite quite nice so, but when the Fiddler's Green Pub was open, the staff uh, had a number of encounters uh, with the ghosts, but it was, and here are a few. Bottle, bottles would fly off shelves. They caught one that was, that came off the shelf, spun around in midair, and then crashed into the wall when the room was dead empty. This was security camera footage. Yowzas. Bottles would fly off shelves, hitting bartenders when no one was behind them. Bands that warmed up on the second story they would be told about the ghosts, and if the band made fun of the ghost stories, uh-huh. or like made fun and believe in the ghosts, and then would poke fun at people who did, uh, they would have a host of technical problems. So oh. none of the equipment would work for them. And then the next band would come in, no and they would work no problem. Even if they had like a battle of the bands, say, and like the next band would come in a few minutes later, if that band was not making fun of the ghosts, the equipment would work. See, I have a feeling that if I ever become a ghost, I'm going to be petty like that. Yeah. Like real small, real dickish moves, just for the fun of it. (laughs) So, yeah, these bands would have, like, technical issues. So the one that the owner or the owner or manager of the pub told the most was, so the windows in the tower where Emily took her life were often found open. Hmm. Even in the winter, like, the guy would come in and it would be really drafting. You'd follow the draft. And they would close the window and screw them shut. Mm -hmm. And then a couple of days later, come in, the windows would be open, the screws would be on the window ledge. Oh, no. And it would be open, no. then he'd screw it again, and a few days later, she'd... After the first one, I'd be like, nope, new yeah. job, new job. So the screws were often found just sitting on the window shelf, just taken out. No, not cool. Uh, so the building, as I said, was in disrepair for many years, and the city bought it a few years ago, and it underwent massive renovations. The ghosts of Emily and William are still reported to be in the building, but did not cause any workers much trouble as pub patrons. So maybe they like the workers and they weren't a big fan of the noise. Well, that's right, because you hear a lot of times uh, when you start doing construction, it like aggravates the spirit world and they get... I guess they're, they're, they did a lot of re- uh, um, fixing up and massive renovations and um, really staying true to the building okay. so i don't know if they say that workers a couple of workers were on they said they felt the presence okay um but they weren't like malevolent by any means and they didn't really say that they had like any trouble so maybe they were just happy that someone was treating their building with respect and they right. weren't a big fan of drunk loud bands right can't say i blame them 
Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Again, you as a ghost. Exactly. Penny and not fan, fond of noise. Exactly. Yes, very true. <laughs> so, you know. Very sad because she took her own life and he died shortly after. So there's lots of like, oh, broken heart. His, him and his wife never had any children. So if it was, if she was pregnant, then maybe the thought of losing his only child. Yeah, I feel bad for her. I Emily. Feel bad for I do not feel bad for the man who cheated and led to a young woman's death. No, no. No sympathy. Make better life choices. All I'm saying. For everybody around. Girls, yeah. make better life choices for yourselves. Yes. Um, Quebec. All again, lots of choices for stories in both Ontario and Quebec. Because they're so old. Yes. <clears throat> so I've decided to do this one, which is actually two ghost stories, but it's the same area. So Rue St. Paul, or Rue St. S-A-I-N-T, Paul, is a street in Montreal with many ghosts. So we're going to talk about two of them. These ghosts uh, never met each other, the people in real life, but are linked by the same sadistic executioner. Oh. Yes. The first was Valier, who's, uh, who, as the story goes, was framed by a neighbor who wanted his land and arrested in 1732. The executioner tortured him <gasps> to get a confession to the crime. Uh, tortured him, and that was very common to get uh-huh. a confession because the executioner needed a confession. Uh-huh. Um, but he wouldn't. Because so he wanted the executioner wanted to confess or crime crime that Valier had no idea any he didn't know anything about nor did he commit so Valier refused to confess even though he was tortured quite brutally and eventually hung himself with his chains hmm. yeah the executioner was none too happy to find his prisoner dead without a confession oh no poor princess so he dumped Valier's bloody and beaten body in the street. Hmm. So people have uh, reported seeing the ghost, a lot of people have reported seeing a ghost of a young man uh, covered in blood with whip marks on his back, professing his innocence, walking up and down Rue St. Paul. Rue St. Paul. Oof. Yeah. Uh, I'm not that familiar with Montreal. Is that one of the party streets? I don't know either. If it is, I think we've got six of one half dozen another between ghost and drunk people. <laughs> I don't think it's, I don't think it is. It's a main street. Okay. But, uh, so, but there's lots of, like, there's a ghost um, carriage, horse, horse and carriage that go up and down that street. Oh. Uh, but also the next one is Mary Joseph Angelique. She was an African slave who uh, supposedly burnt her master's estate out of anger when she found out he was planning on selling her to an American slave trader. Yes, Canada, we did have slavery. Also, now I would just pardon her, because that whole story, from beginning to end, I'm like, justified. Uh, the fire the fire did not just burn his estate, but it also ripped through old Montreal and burnt 40 other estates as well. Yeah, they had it coming, I'm sure. Marie was charged with arson, confessed to the crime under torture with the same ex- torture uh, executioner Execution. as Vellier. Her punishment was first she had to carry a torch and walk up and down the street of Rue St. Paul with a sign around her neck that said arsonist arsonist in French. Then she was hung and her body burned. Hmm. Her ashes were scattered around Rue St. Paul. Most people felt she was innocent of the charges, like everybody pretty much (laughs) felt she was innocent of the charges. And actually her case and her story took slavery in Canada into the spotlight. Right. Good. Marie's ghost can still be seen walking up and down Rue St. Paul, holding a torch and wearing the sign around her neck, looking for revenge. Don't blame her. Yeah. If she ever needs a hand, I'll, uh, and I come across her, I'll be like, bitch, you and I, let's let's sort shit out. <laughs> so yes. Burn the patriarchy takes on a whole new meaning in that context. <laughs> yeah, so she'd always longed for freedom, as most slaves did, and then she found out she was being... Her master was planning on selling her to an American slave trader. So, what a dick. Fuck. So, oh, on to New Brunswick, that province that everybody jokes nobody wants to go to. The slash that my mother's family comes from, and <laughs> is my connection to the East Coast. But you're not wrong. Story, Lisa's family. I also, I've been trying to think of any ghost stories that I remember hearing growing up from her neck of the woods, but I don't think there is any. There's quite a few, actually, but I decided to stick with the Algonquin Resort, okay, which opened its doors in June of 1889, boasting 80 rooms with impressive medieval influence design. So it has this sort of medieval. So the Algonquin Resort with yes. a medieval theme. <laughs> yes. Yep. 
the designers sending mixed message, but okay. The hotel quickly became the interest of the train companies, who had a habit of building grand hotels along their major yes. train routes. And in 1903, the Canadian Pacific Railway Railway purchased the property. Where is it? Uh, it's in... Crap, I don't even have it written down. Google that while I tell the rest of the story. Yeah. Uh, as you can see, and I even put the... As you can see, there's a trend in haunted <laughs> railway hotels. Yeah. <laughs> so the Algonquin Resort was, is, seems to be the host home to many ghosts and is said to be one of the most haunted places in the province. But history doesn't quite explain the large amounts of active spirits who choose to linger here. Because there may have been like the odd accidental deaths during construction or a guest who died from natural causes while staying there. Mm -hmm. There's no suicides or murders or anything like skeevy that's happened at the resort. But there's a lot of fucking spirits here. Maybe it's on Layla. Maybe. Uh, Former employees are the most commonly uh, are most commonly seen and well-known ghosts. So apparently it was a great place to work because people just like hang around. Uh, the most well-known ghost story is that of an old bellhop. He approaches guests and helps them with their things as if he's a normal living person, but suddenly disappears when they turn away from him. Ugh. This has been reported so many times that guests have actually even left tips at the front desk for him since he left before they could do so. There's a bellhop at Banff that they do that for, too. Yeah. yeah. So, Although I was saying this to Dan, and he's like, maybe it's just a... No. Was I saying this to Dan or someone else? He's saying maybe it's, uh, I think it was Dan, um, maybe they do have an old Scottish bellhop that they just, he just disappears and then they just precipitate this, like. Yeah, they just like to fuck with the guests. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but then they would have to, like, find generations of old Scottish bellhops because this story has been going on forever. <laughs> so did you find out where it was? Yeah, St. Andrews by the Sea. St. Andrews by the Sea. Which is just south of Fredericton and Oromocto. Um. The other long-term employee is that, and by long-term, I mean like long-term, is that of a maid, a chambermaid, or a maid, who's been seen often late at night in the dining room going through the motions of setting tables. And that, of there's a spirit of what's thought to be a watchman, a night, former wa- night watchman, that has been heard jingling keys in empty areas, so you can hear him walking and jingling his keys at night. After 4 p.m. on a weekday, you cannot find me at the office. I am fucking gone. These poor people are stuck at work for all of eternity. I know. That's the saddest. That's even sadder than a ghost who, like, dies tragically. Like, from now on, I'm packing sage in my luggage when I go to hotels. And the first question I'm going to ask is, point me to the direction of the ghost. We got to get that person out of here. They have to go off and explore the afterlife and enjoy and not be stuck making beds and setting tables. But I think for the case of these two bellhops, they seem quite happy doing what they do. Like, they're very friendly. People think they're real. Like, people honestly go... Yeah. And I guess if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life or in your death. But, like... Still meeting people. They're still meeting people. They're still getting out. They're talking to strangers. I guess. Seeing how the world has evolved. So they're fine. Yeah, they're fine. But, like... The poor chambermaid is still sitting tables. Good lord. Who wants to be clearing sheets off of a bed for all of eternity? Like... Good lord. Ugh. I can't imagine being caught at my work. Mm-mm. Mm. Tip your hotel chambermaids, people. Yeah. They mm. see a lot of shit. Quite literally. Next is Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. Also lots of ghost stories. This one was uh, this one was featured in Creepy Canada. Um, Peggy's Cove is one of Nova Scotia's most popular tourist locations. Mm-hmm. It's also uh, known for not only its beauty and lighthouse, but also for its ghost stories. Also, don't like fart around on the edge of the rocks because lots no. of people die. Uh, one of the most famous ghost stories from Peggy Cove, Peggy's Cove, is uh, that of the Lady in Blue. As the story goes, there was a woman who immigrated from Europe to Canada, hoping for a better life for herself and her two children. Unfortunately, she didn't have enough money to bring her children with her, but hoped to earn enough money to re- be reunited with her children. Um, afterwards so settling in the village of Peggy's Cove she married a local man and one day she was sitting sadly she was sitting on the rocks sadly daydreaming of her children her new husband soon joined her and seeing that she was feeling down he tried to cheer up by singing and dancing on the rocks (laughs) I have a feeling I know where this is going yeah as he was dancing he slipped and fell on the rocks and the later the local found his body but there was no sign of her Some say she likely felt responsible for his death and took her own life by falling into the sea. 
They never did find her. Ugh. Even to this day, some people see the mysterious lady in blue out on the rocks looking out at the water. And it's said that she looks poised to jump into the sea, and when someone tries to help, she disappears. Oh my god. There is also a story of a young boy who fell in, and uh, if you see him and stare at him too long, he draws you in. You try to go towards him and then try to Stranger However, danger. I couldn't really find another... That was from Keep the Creepy Canada episode, and I couldn't find another story to corroborate it. Ah. So, who knows if that was real or not. But Peggy's Cove got its name because uh, there was a, a lady named or a girl named Margaret who was the only survivor of a shipwreck off of the coast. Okay. Um, and she, the locals saved her and she eventually ended up marrying and moving into that and they ended up calling their village Peggy's Cove after her. Hmm. Apparently that's for local folklore. Peggy is the nickname for Margaret? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. So many weird nicknames for Margaret. <laughs> Probably because there's a lot of people named Margaret back in the day. Like, think of how many people were named Margaret and Marie. Yeah. And Maria and, like, all those saints, right? Mm-hmm. So you had to... Differentiate some way. Because even my mom, like, my mom's name is Mary, but there was six or seven Marys she grew up with, mm-hmm. so... All of my mom's sisters have Marie as their middle name, and all of her brothers have Joseph as their middle name. Well, my mom goes by her middle name, and all of her sisters pretty much go by their middle name, except for my aunt. Um, but, uh, well, we call her Aunt Betty, but her first name's Elizabeth. Uh, but all the rest of them go by, because they all have Catholic first names. Yeah. Um, but my grandmother named all of her children and her daughters after her favorite radio soap opera characters. <laughs> so that's how my mom ended up with the name Charmaine. Which is a unique name for East Coast at that time. Or still a u- rarely unique yeah. name. I don't know many Charmaines. Yeah. Um, Sandra, Beverly, um, and Shirley. Or my mom, so very outside of the box, mm-hmm. especially for the community at the time. Mm. Um, that's also my mom's name ended up misspelled on her birth certificate. <laughs> so now, now we're on to PEI, who didn't have a ton of sightings, but this one I thought was pretty interesting. So it's the flaming ghost ship of Northumberland Strait. Talk about being hella dramatic. <laughs> and the sightings of this ship go back at least 200 years. Oh, wow. With it typically being described as a beautiful schooner that has three to four masks of pure white sails, all of which said to become completely engulfed in flames as as onlookers watch. According to uh, local folklore, the ghost ship appears before uh, in a north wind and as a forewarning of a storm. So if you see this and the north wind is blowing, storm is on the way. Hmm. A number of legends and ghost stories exists that describe the sightings of this ghost ship over the years and includes the description of distinctive outlines of the ship's masks with phantom crew members climbing them before the vessel supposedly either completely burns, sinks, or vanishes. So, one story in 1900, a group of sailors boarded a small row boat in Charlottetown Harbor and raced towards the phantom ship to rescue the crew only to have the ship vanish as they got closer. In January of 2008, oh, recent. Yeah, a 17-year-old Matthew Gonier just told a local newspaper that he believes he saw the legendary phantom ship in oh, it looks like Tamaguchi Bay. I probably pronounced that really badly, and that's my 90s childhood <laughs> coming through. Described it as a bright white and gold ship. Um, also, another resident of the area claims that he saw the ship one night in October. Explaining that I believe all the stuff and I don't know what else it could be. So they saw this beautiful bright white and gold schooner burst into flames. Hello, dramatic. Yeah. But again, <laughs> this ship has been seen over and over for over 200 years. You have this sighted in 1900 and in 2008. And wow. sightings go back to the founding of, I think, probably because this is the North Underland Strait that's between PEI and Nova Scotia and New Brunswick. So I think there's uh, sightings on in all three provinces. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So Newfoundland and Labrador, tons of ghost <gasps> stories. Home country for Andy. Home country for me. Um, and this is not even like the biggest ghost story. I just found it really interesting. So in the 19th century, so especially in the 1840s-ish, there's no morgues in St. John's, but mm-hmm. St. John's was a very, very busy harbor. So, in the 1840s, the government paid a standing salary to Nancy Coley, who kindly and skillfully cared for the unidentified dead 
or the dead who didn't have any families, preparing their bodies for burial. At the time, this, the city was rough, and wharves were, as this, one of the articles described, were well greased with seal fat and cod oil, <laughs> and the harbor was filled with foreign vessels. By the way, your accent's coming out real nice and strong right now. It's adorable. <laughs> Unidentified bodies and bodies of peoples without pa- uh, families were becoming actually a huge problem. So bodies fished out of the harbor, mm-hmm. bodies of... Sailors who just happened to die in that one port. Yeah. Probably parted from their money. Yeah. Um, were a problem. And Nancy would prepare those bodies for burial, laying them out in her own house. And because medicine isn't what it was today, sometimes the bodies brought to her were not really dead. Uh-huh. <laughs> so one Dutch sailor was being nailed up in his coffin at Nancy's when he suddenly revived. After a drink of rum or two, he was his own man again. <laughs> That'll get the heart going. That's the undertaker. (laughs) So Nancy was already a social outcast, being a woman who lived alone, worked, and basically lived with the dead. Because all this happened in her own house, and Mm -hmm. she lived upstairs. So soon rumors started about her being a powerful witch who could resurrect the dead. (laughs) She continued her work for many years, but when she died in her house, no one would do the same for her. As she done for so many uh, countless others. No one is sure where she's buried because there's no marked grave for Nancy and she did not get a proper, proper burial because she was such an outcast of society. Fuck. So this is a really depressing end to this story. But uh, that's why she can be seen um, wearing a red cloak with a ghostly hearse haunting local well, thank you for your service, Nancy, and I'm sorry everyone was such a dick back I then. Know. You did an amazing job, dear yes. Nancy. Please go and enjoy your peace. afterlife and find some peace out there. Oh, poor Nancy. Yeah. So that's why um, sailors, when they died at sea, would get sewn into their hammocks, and then because you can't carry a dead body with you, but the last stitch was supposed to go through the bridge of the nose the septum and if they were not quite dead the idea is that throwing would... a canvas needle through that part of your nose would be enough to wake you up but being buried alive has a long history in uh europe especially so all sorts of inventions came about like coffins with glass windows over the oh, face the, the bells the bells the victorian times that was very like a victorian fear wasn't yes. it yes well i think it's a human fear yeah like, no one wants to kill billet and wake up in a fucking grave um i don't know if it was creepy canada or not i kind of caught the end of the story i think it was a creepy canada i just don't know mm-hmm. what episode because i wasn't really paying that much attention as it just sort of was running on youtube mm-hmm. um there's a story of a woman who was buried alive and her biggest fear was being buried alive because she was a narcoleptic oh boy so she was worried that it, well rightly so yeah that someone and she would have wake up yeah and that's exactly what happened to her there's a story of um a catholic saint who... And because it was a plague time, like there was a disease oh, going through the town, so she was terrified. There was a Catholic saint. It was a woman, died, buried, sainted, and then for whatever reason they had to dig her up to get a relic or prove something. I don't know why. When they dug her up, they found claw marks in the coffin. <gasps> so she had been buried alive and tried to escape. And because she had been showed less than calm acceptance of meeting her maker, they took away her sainthood. <laughs> because you're supposed to be eager to meet God if you're a saintly person and clearly the sheer panic of trying to dig your way out of your own coffin and grave indicated she was less than receptive of meeting God and so she wasn't saintly or just the fear of panic of oh my god I'm just waking up in a very small dark yeah <laughs> before you suffocate to death awesome yeah thanks Catholic Church <laughs> well on that note <laughs> On to my stories. (laughs) So, if you follow the news, uh, a couple of weeks ago, both Keira Knightley and Kirsten Bell were in the news talking about fairy tales and how they don't like to read fairy tales to their daughters because they perpetuate bad stereotypes or they're just not uh, the type of stories that you want messaging going towards young girls, uh, especially around issues of consent and sex. So this really interests me, as I'm sure our listeners may be able to tell by now, I am a rabid feminist. Um, 
and so this kind of caught my attention and the more I thought about it, the more I thought, yeah, there are some really problematic fairy tales out there and I don't really blame these young mothers and so I want to find out some more. I found an article uh, that kind of explained both ladies, their, their positions on it. The article comes from The Daily Edge and their title is Kirsten Bell says she uses fairy tales to teach her daughters about consent. So Knightley, uh, Kira Knightley went on Ellen, I think it was, and said she just outright banned some fairy tales uh, from her household, uh, but Kristen Bell says she uses them as a teaching moment. So Kira Knightley says that Cinderella is one example of a bad fairy tale where a girl has to wait for a rich man to rescue her, or the Little Mermaid, uh, a young woman gives up her voice literally for a man to be with him. Uh, so these are prime examples of messagings that you shouldn't give to little girls to see as their role models. So she'll, Kristen Bell, on the other hand, will read her kids these stories, but then ask questions like, don't you think it's weird that the prince kissed Snow White without her permission? Or don't you think it's weird that Snow White didn't ask the old witch why she needed to eat that apple or where that apple came from? So there are lessons about consent and not taking food from strangers and really the whole stranger danger of life, kind of prepping them for that. Her daughters are three and five, so they're at that age where these morality tales are probably a good, a good age to get in on, really clarifying these things. Both these women sparked huge discussion in the social media world. Some people don't like that um, these adult issues are being forced onto little children. Others think that you're just ruining fun stories for kids, so just read them the stories and call it a day. But we are not their mothers, so we don't really get a say. In reality though, in most cases, there is a really big difference between Disney's sanitized version. Oh yeah, and Hans Christian Andersen's. Yeah, the Hans Christian Andersen's or the, the Grimm's Brothers uh, versions of these fairy tales. So today I want to take a look at the difference between them and talk about the originals and then the modern stories and where the gaps are. There are two main sources for fairy tales in our world, uh, folklore and then the Grimm Brothers. And this information all comes from Wikipedia on fairy tales. The pure definition of a fairy tale is pretty obvious. It's a story that features magical creatures like giants or mermaids, talking animals, trolls, and of course fairies. And it relies at some point on magic or enchantment to advance the plot. The term is usually applied to stories coming out of European traditions. The Grimm brothers are credited with codifying a bunch of these stories and creating the roots for the modern tradition of fairy tales that we know today. The Grimm's were German academics. They specifically uh, studied cultural issues and they were lexicographers. And they're best known for publishing their folk tales in the early 1800s. They popularized the traditional oral tales of Cinderella, the Frog Prince, Hansel and Gretel. These were not children's stories. They were not. Well, they were. They technically were. I guess. The same way that Doctor Who's kids right. program in Britain. And of the same genre where you send uh, Boy Scouts out to look for murderers and dead bodies. Sure, sure. Like, these were the, the age that they were written in. Well, these were earlier than that, but same idea. Before we sanitized our children. So yes. Like... Before we, like, took away the fun things like lawn darts and fear. <laughs> If you want to see what the original stories are for all of them, you can pick up the Grimm's Brothers two-part collection, Children's and Household Tales. But in fact, the original stories are so old that they're now in the public domain. So you can go online pretty much anywhere to read these. It's usually from the Grimm's Brothers stories that we have the origins or the, the inspirations for what became the Disney versions of them. So these all come, my, the stories I'll be telling you come from Carnegie Mellon University's website. They have a collection for some really weird reason It's hosted by the School of Computer Science. I don't know, maybe it was somebody's project to digitize a bunch of stuff. I don't, I don't know. But anyway, you can go and you can get the complete collection of Grimm's stories from Carnegie Mellon. It's great. So where do you want to start? We have Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, or Beauty and the Beast. I was going to start by telling one quick story because okay. we're not doing The Little Mermaid. No. So The Little Mermaid Disney movie came out, uh, I think I was in grade three or four. Okay. And we all watched it. I think we maybe watched it in theaters. It might have been the first movie I watched in theaters. But then later on, my teacher decided it was uh, a good idea to show us the Hans Christian Andersen version of it. Ooh. And... I'm going to say right now I'm not a big Disney fan. Okay. I never, I didn't grow up being a big Disney fan. Okay. Because this is probably why. So I remember watching the Hans Christian Andersen animated version of it, like that story, and being so pissed off 
because Disney robbed me of this depressing ending. Apparently, I was an emo fourth grader. Uh, because in the original one, she becomes Sifo. Okay, yeah. Right? Like, she does not, he does not love her. He does not choose her. He chooses Ursula. And she becomes Sifo. And I remember being, feeling just so ripped off by Disney's, like, happy version of this. Right. That I never really, like, like, I, I wasn't, like, I, I, I get that I'm a little bit older than some of my husband's cousins who are a little bit younger than me, so they grew up, like, they loved Dis- Disney movies. Beauty and the Beast was their sort of, like, mm-hmm. and I get that my, like, was entry, I guess, gateway was um, that. Also, like, at that time you saw on, like, CBC, they'd have the Sunday Night Disney. Yeah. Um, and, like, the animated uh, Robin Hood. That's a depressing as animation movie. The one where they use Fox? Yes, but do you not remember the part where everybody's in the jail? Yeah, and, but he like, gets them out. He does get them out, but it's like there's that that depressing song, oh, and that's like true. it's really dark. Yeah, but I think I had a bit of a sexual awakening to Fox Robin Hood, so my entire memory of that <laughs> movie is really, really weird. <laughs> he was really hot. Like, sorry, but I cannot be alone in this either. Uh, yeah, so sorry to sidetrack. <laughs> yeah, my I like got so annoyed with like. These stories are really, really dark. And fairy tales are different from morality tales, as I yeah. learned while I was prepping this. And a morality tale having, obviously, a lesson that you're trying to learn. But fairy tales are really... You might get a morality tale out of it in some ways, but it's really more about the magic and the enchantment and the living happily ever after of it all. And not everyone gets that at the end. So Little Mermaid did not. Did not, yes. So where do you want to start today? Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, or Beauty and the Beast? Ah, oh, we'll start with Cinderella. Okay. So, in Cinderella, and this is the Grimm's version, a young girl, uh, her mother dies, and in less than a year, her father remarries. The stepmother brings her two daughters into the home, and the stepdaughters are described as beautiful and fair of face, but vile and black of heart. The new additions to the family made her earn her keep, Cinderella, by by being kept as a kitchen wench. They took her pretty clothes away from her and gave her an old gray bedgown to wear, and she had to wear wooden shoes. Besides this, the sisters did her every imaginable injury. They mocked her and emptied her peas and lentils into the ashes so that she was forced to sit and pick them out again. In the evening, when she had worked till she was weary, she had no bed to go to but had to sleep on the hearth in the cinders. And as on the account that she always looked dusty and dirty, they called her Cinderella. Oh, those nice bitches. Yeah. One day, the king in the kingdom where they lived announced a three-day festival to give his son a chance to look over the, quote, beautiful young girls of the country and pick one to be his wife. The stepsisters made Cinderella get them ready for the ball, but her stepmother made fun of her for wanting to go. She said, quote, you go, Cinderella, covered in dust and dirt as you are. You have no clothes and shoes and yet would dance. As, however, Cinderella went on asking, the stepmother said at last, I have emptied a dish of lentils into the ashes for you. If you have picked them out again in two hours, you shall go with us. So given this task, impossible task to do, Cinderella got her bird friends to come and help her pick all the grains out of the ashes and put them in a dish within an hour, and then took them to her stepmother to see if she could go to the ball. The stepmother told her no, but told her if she could pick out two dishes of lentils, she could go. So again, through the... Uh, two dishes of lentils into the uh, cinders and Cinderella had her little birdie friends come and help pick through them and pick out the lentils to take to her stepmother. Presented again with uh, two dishes of lentils, Cinderella's stepmother said, you cannot go with us for you have no clothes and cannot dance. We should be ashamed of you. This upset Cinderella, very much so. And she ran out of the house and ran to the grave of her mother where she was crying And her bird friends miraculously threw down a dress of gold and silver for her to wear, and they provided her with matching embroidered slippers to put on. So she went to the ball, dressed up in this Oscar de la Bird Renta combo, Uh, (laughs) and she wasn't recognized by her stepmother or sisters, and she danced with the prince, and he wouldn't dance with anyone else. She was so enchanting. The story says that she danced till it was evening, and then she wanted to go home, but the prince wanted to take her to see whom the beautiful maiden belonged to. She escaped him and hurried home. And then the same things happened on the second and the third day of the festival, and each time the birds dropped a dress onto the 
gray that was even more beautiful than the last. Where are these birds getting these dresses? I know, right? Like, Jesus. (laughs) Stealing them somewhere. Yeah. (laughs) On the third day, though, the prince had the staircase of the the palace smeared with pitch, which is a very sticky tar. I think um, Home Alone. Oh, I know what, what it is. Irv's, my listeners might not. When Urs is coming up the from the basement stairs and he's walking on that sticky stuff, that's pitch. Uh, and so as Cinderella was racing out, her left shoe got stuck in it. The prince found it, uh, and he was going to use that as the measurement tool throughout the kingdom to find who this woman was. Also, the bottom of her ginormous gown would be covered in this, so whoever the birdies have got to bring this back to you is going to be pissed. Yes, every time she would get home, she would take the dress off and put it back on her mother's grave, and little birdies would come down and pick it up and take it away and never to be seen again. So yes, somebody's going to be pissed about it. You're right. So the prince took this slipper, uh, this embroidered slipper, and he went looking through all of the kingdom for for this woman, and when he gets to Cinderella's home... One of the stepsisters is so eager to get her hands on the shoe to get her foot into it that uh, she jams it in there and it turns out her big toe is too, makes her foot too big to fit in. So her mother brings her knife and says, cut it off, then you get to be a princess and a queen and it's totally worth it and you're just going to lose one toe, NBD, just do it. So the stepsister cuts off her toe as so instructed by her mother. She gets her foot in the shoe. The prince is a dummy and is convinced, and off they head on his horse. That's when the prince notices that there's blood pooling in her shoes. He feels cheated, takes her back to the house, and says, this isn't the one. Not at all. The second sister, stepsister, says, okay, well, I'm going to give it a try. Jams her foot in there, and it won't fit because the heel of her foot is too big. Out comes mom again with that good old knife, says, take it off. Because no one's going to notice. It's one, it's it's so far, like, just think of risk-reward here. Like, just take off the heel. Because he, he didn't already notice your sister's bleeding toe. He obviously won't notice half of your foot gone. Yes. So she takes it off. She cuts off her foot, gets the foot in the slipper. Dummy prince is convinced this is the one. Off they head. Again, after they've gone a little ways, he notices there's a lot of blood mysteriously appearing, realizes this isn't the one, and so he heads on back with her to oh, this kind of drop her. Forget idiot. I know. So he gets back to the castle where or the place where Cinderella lives, and he asks her father if he has any other daughters, and her father responds, There is still a little stunted kitchen wench, which my late wife left behind her, but she cannot possibly be the bride. The prince still wanted her to try it. But they didn't want to show her to the prince because she was dirty and would embarrass them. But the prince insisted, so she was cleaned up. And miraculously, it was Cinderella whom he had danced with and that he wanted. They got together and they decided to get married. On the wedding day, Cinderella, being kind-hearted, let her stepsisters act as bridesmaids for her. But on their way up the aisle, Cinderella's little birdie friends came in and pecked one of the eye out of each one of them. Cinderella did not find this an impediment to her wedding day and kept on going up to the aisle. She said her I do, he said his I do, they got married, around they turned and come heading down the aisle, when Cinderella's little birdie friends decided they weren't done with those bitches and came and picked out the other eyes from their face. Grimm said that the Cinderella's stepsisters lost their eyes for their wickedness and falsehoods, and they were punished with blindness for all of their days. And also, you know, probably a lot of blood loss. Yes. Gangrene in those ages. You yeah. never know. Who so, knows what was on that cleaver that their mother gave them? Exactly. This story differs wildly from the Cinderella we know. So, two things are taking... The the birdies didn't enact any revenge on her parents? Because the sisters, yeah, they were horrible, but they weren't the cause of this. I'm as befuddled as you are. (laughs) So, first of all, Cinderella's... Also, this prince is fucking dumb. Oh, dummy. Complete dummy. This kingdom is doomed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So, the father was around... In the Disney story, he dies uh, shortly after he marries the stepmother. And Cinderella is left to the mercies of the stepmother because she has no other protection in the world. But he's there to witness the abuse that's heaped on his daughter. And if he ever had problems with it, the Grimm brothers don't report that. And so he just seems to roll with it. Even going so far as to calling her the kitchen wench that his late wife left behind her. Like, just took off. Like, no, it was her daughter and she died, you fucking asshole. And you're her father. And you're her father. There is no fairy godmother, just really helpful birds who kind of play that role. And those birds 
are in the Disney version, but like there's mice, there's other forest animals. Uh, the party lasted three days in the story, not just the one. So the prince spent quite a lot of time with her and was still dummy enough to think the stepsisters were her, even though they had danced. Like, so less yeah. than a foot between her any dummy, you're right. That kingdom's in trouble. Cinderella wasn't on a ticking clock. There was no get home before midnight. It was just, and it. she decided to leave in the evening. So obviously the celebration started earlier on in the day. So it wasn't at midnight when the clock struck one, that, or midnight that she had to leave. There's no coach. There's no coach, no pumpkin <laughs> turns into a coach or anything. It's very limited. Just, just woodland fowl that's helping her out here. Yeah. Not farm stealing some Stealing some dresses <laughs> from somebody else. There's probably some woman in the kingdom going like, what the fuck? Where did my dress go? How did it get full of bird shit <laughs> and bitch <laughs> uh, there's probably some poor girl getting like whipped because she messed up her master's mistress's dress, dress. yeah <laughs> in no point in disney is the prince actually married or willing to marry the stepsisters like to get so far as to leave home with them and then have to bring them back and in Disney, they make them ugly, right? Yeah. Like they make the them ugly like, sister. Yeah, ugly sister. Give them like warts and. Mm-hmm. Whereas here, like they're straight up described as like beautiful and fair of face, but foul of heart. Yeah, they're just ugly on the inside. Yeah, uh, the stepsisters mutilated themselves for their shot. Obviously, you have to clean that out of a Disney movie. You cannot show that to small children. And the stepsisters end up disfigured. I can't remember exactly what happens to them in Cinderella Disney, but no, I don't not that blindness. That's for sure. My most uh, vivid memory of a movie with Cinderella's Ever After, the Drew Barrymore movie that yes. came out in the 90s, a couple years after the Romeo and Juliet craze. Right, yeah. Um, where they, one sister helps her and the other sister and the mom yeah, that's right. are like wenches and evil, like just deep hearted. So she sends them to be kitchen yes. or laundry there was slaves, a good, basically. There was a good book that came out this summer too called uh, Happily Ever After. And it's like a historical fiction, but like the idea of this is a stepmother and her daughter's side. So you get like another point of view of. Well, like the same guy who did Wicked did um, Confessions of an Ugly Stepsister. Yes. But I could never finish Wicked, so I never picked up anything else by it. That one's good though. Completely different. No tiger sex. So you can get on board with it. Is it weird religion? Because I can't get past. Okay, yeah. That's what sort of killed me in the. It's around here. Remind me, I'll lend it to you on your way up. And obviously, the biggest crime in the translation. is there's well the biggest improvement Disney makes is Lucifer and Gus Gus, the the cat and the mouse, best 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 characters. I love the mouse, yes, I love the cat. Like that is as I don't close... remember the cat. So well as the name suggests, it's evil, and that's as close as Disney ever comes to a evil and b reality. <laughs> Maggie Maggie and Lucifer are very similar. <laughs> so the next story, uh, Sleeping Beauty. We'll go there. If you're looking for this story in the Grimm's uh, anthology, it's the name of it is technically the Little Briar Rose. So in this story, the king and queen want to have a child but couldn't. And then one day, uh, while the queen was taking a bath, a frog appeared and told her that she would have a baby within a year. So your friendly neighborhood pregnancy frog test uh, turned up positive. And uh, it happened and they had a baby girl. To celebrate, the king threw a big party and wanted to invite the wise women of his country. So i.e. witches, to uh, the party so that they would be well disposed to his family, but he only had 12 gold dishes to serve them from and 13 wise women, so he had to tell one of them to stay home. As one might imagine, she was pissed and crashed the party. She laid down this curse on the assembly. The king's daughter shall, in her 15th year, prick herself with a spindle and fall down dead, and then she left without saying anything else. Which, I mean, if you're going to curse someone, make an entrance, make an exit, in and out. That's the way to go. Take notes. I, I took notes. I got it now. One of the wise women who was there came forward and said that she couldn't undo the curse, but she could soften it. And rather than die, the princess would fall into a sleep for 100 years. Trying to bypass the curse altogether, the king had all of the spindles in the kingdom burnt. So I guess that's the solution. I don't know what they were going to wear. Because you need a spindle to make... Clothes, yeah. Clothes. Well, to make fabric to make yeah. clothes from. So the girl grew up to be pretty and kind and lived a very happy life. On her 15th birthday, and this is where you lose me, the king and queen were away from the palace and the princess was all alone. Why you would leave on that birthday of all birthdays, yeah. on any birthday, 
But that one particularly. Maybe there was some sort of skirmish <coughs> that well, they campaign that they had to be on? The king and queen, and they took their entire court with them. So it was literally just her alone in the palace. Yeah, that's messed up. <laughs> she was obviously bored uh, and kept herself busy by exploring and found an old tower, which she climbed to the very, very top, at which she found a tiny little door. And inside the room sat an old woman spinning on her fiddle. Curious, because she had never seen one before, the princess touched the spindle and fell down onto one of the beds that was conveniently at hand and fell into a deep sleep. When the king and queen and the whole court came home, they too fell asleep as soon as they walked through uh, the palace doors. Even the animals, the bugs, and the fire all just entered a state of sleepy stasis. Like the fire kept crackling, but like not growing, not shrinking. A big hedge of thorns grew up around the palace, and the legend of the beautiful sleeping briar rose spread around the country. Princes came to try to get in, but they would get caught in that thorn hedge and be trapped and then end up dying there. So a hundred years later, a prince showed up on the anniversary date because he knew the story and he knew it was going to take a hundred years. So he put it in his calendar and he showed up. So his grandfather put it in their calendar. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, let's claim this kingdom. <laughs> And all the flowers in the hedge bloomed, and the hedge opened up for him to let him pass unhurt into the castle, and then the hedge closed behind him, and he found everyone inside sleeping. He explored around, and he finally found the room where the princess was sleeping, and this is a quote from the story. There she lay, so beautiful that he could not turn his eye away, and he stooped down and gave her a kiss. But as soon as he kissed her, Briar Rose opened her eyes and awoke and looked at him quite sweetly. As they came down the stairs, everyone woke up as if nothing had happened and no time had passed, and the prince married the princess and lived happily ever after. This goes without saying. The differences between that and the Disney story are, again, quite striking. Um, first off, the girl, and I say girl, was 15 in the story. Ew. So I guess Disney goes, hey, I know it's the 50s, but even this is creeping us out a little bit, so we have to age her up. They aged her up to 16. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Aurora in the Disney movie is 16 years old. So I don't think we're getting good, but we're getting better. But not good. In the Disney story, she is raised away from the castle by the three fairy godmothers. So in the story, it's the fairy godmothers who soften the, the three of them who soften yeah. this curse. And then they agree to take her away and raise her away from her parents, which is worse, I think, than yeah. being left with her parents. But it was still a witch who uh, put the curse on them. Yes, Maleficent, the which is actually the name in the... Disney didn't make that up. It's actually the name in the Grimm story. So, points there, Disney. The prince in um, the Disney story knew her before the curse. They fall in love while dancing around the forest, as one does. Um, exactly. And so he knew her, and so there was much more of a I have to save her no none of this hundred years past bullshit like it was pretty immediate maleficent in the disney story fucks around with the prince just as much as aurora so she's always trying to keep them apart and try to impede the prince from getting to her to kiss her awake uh and at some point maleficent turns into a giant dragon to defend the castle from the prince which after the curse the uh entry and exit the badass exit she makes she doesn't appear in the grim story anymore but She's a consistent villain throughout the Disney movie and then um, is actively trying to stop them from being together. Be kind of a, a big gulf there, uh, but I always come back to the fact that 15 or 16 year olds are too young to get married and should be discouraged from doing so. And again, here's the whole, I'm going to kiss this rando who I find looking asleep. But at least course. in the Disney movies, they already knew each other and they've been in love. Yes. So it's much less unconsenting. Yes. As, yeah, as, like, the original story. Yes. This whole hundred years. Yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, I think it was Amnesty International put out a cartoon in the last couple of weeks of uh, a reimagining of uh, Sleeping Beauty or Snow White where a prince has to kiss a princess awake. But he kisses her and nothing happens and he starts, like, groping her. And then the forest animals are like, bro, what are you doing? Like, dude. And the prince is like, well, she wanted to at a party, so it's okay, right? And they're like, buddy, she didn't say yes. It's a real dude-bro combo, and it's genius. Like, go find this clip. It is hilarious. I'm pretty sure it's uh, Amnesty International who put it out. With the Disney version, they were already in love. The evil witch was just trying to keep them apart. Yeah. 
it was a little bit more Romeo and Juliet aspect yeah. to it. So, like, I get the whole, like, consent, cause, consent discussion, because I have to do that. Obviously, I have two girls. Yeah. Um, I find, so, I, sometimes I find Kristen Bell talking about her children really annoying for this reason. <laughs> okay. And Lady Gossip does a bunch of stuff on it, too. So, her and Dax Shepard talk about how they will not let their kids be vote. Uh, they will not have them, like, um, in photo shoots or paparazzi take pictures. They want to keep their privacy. Mm-hmm. But the two of them have created pretty much a pretty big career now yeah. on the fact of their parents. Yeah. So they have those Maytag commercials. They have they talk about them constantly. Uh, they did Good Moms. So Mila Kunitz is the same thing. Like, oh, no, yeah. you can't ask me about my children. I will not show any pictures. I will not... But yes, I'm going to market the fact that I'm an everyday regular mom and I'm going to tell story, embarrassing stories about them. Mm-hmm. But no, 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 you can't have, yeah. It's that's cake and eat it too. Yeah. Like, oh, I want to protect their privacy, but I'm going to go on Ellen and talk to this funny story about how they shit their pants when we were potty training. Yeah. And I got covered in poop. It's it's that like, okay, you can, like, I'm going to tell stories. Like, I'm not really going to put a whole lot of pictures of the girls on yeah. the rabbit pod page because, um... They can't tell me if that's okay. But I'm not going to then make a huge... I'm not doing a mom podcast. Yeah. You know? Like, I'll tell some funny stories about my kids crapping themselves as they, like, do constantly. Um, <laughs> but it's that sort of... Cake and eat it too. Cake and eat it too. Like, yeah. I don't want to talk about my kids, but I'm going to talk about my kids. Yeah. And I'm now going to have a whole Maytag sponsorship with me and my husband and, you know, about us being parents. And this is what my career is based on now is me being this cool mom. But... You know, I'm still going to... Yeah, it's that's what bothers me uh, most about those yeah, two fair. particular women. Yeah. But, like, um, a lot of these stories, like, I'm going to still read them Little House on the Prairie, which I grew up with, which mm-hmm. is terribly problematic with their uh, treatment of indigenous people. Mm-hmm. But that's going to be a conversation of this is written in a time when this was okay, okay and this was really how, how people saw each other and how that's not okay now. Hey guys, it's Elise here. So you might notice we're an hour into our episode and we still have an entire story to get through uh, with my story of the week. So what we're going to do is I'm going to carve off this last piece of the episode and we're going to make it available to you via Patreon. Head over to patreon.com and search our name or check out the support tab on our website for the link. And we're going to set this at a $1 membership. If this ever happens again, you'll have other little pieces of the episode at that level. If you feel we're cheating you, feel free to cancel your membership as soon as you get the link. Maybe look at the other levels that we have, though, and consider staying on board with us there. But we want to make this available to you somehow, and so this is the solution. So thank you for listening. Sorry for the inconvenience, but there is a lot of great stuff happening for our patrons, so please do consider finding a membership level that works for you and if you just want to hear the last bit of this story then we've set it at a one dollar subscription level for you and we completely understand if you then cancel your subscription with us so thanks for listening and have a great one bye guys so those are our stories for today yes so if you like them let us know if you don't don't let us know um (laughs) you can find us at our uh Website at rabbitholespodcast.com. Uh, our show notes, aka the links. Uh, so for me, they're quite lengthy because there's at least <laughs> one or two for each of my ghost stories. Oh boy. Yeah, I'm not kidding you. They were an entire page. <laughs> um, you can email us at rabbitholespodcast at gmail.com. Twitter, we're at, at rabbitholespod. Facebook, rabbitholespodcast page, and you can join our group. Um, which I can't remember what the war, war, the rabbit Warren the rabbit Warren, um, and I post some articles to there weekly. Um, Instagram at Rabbit Holes Podcast, and again you can find our blog, uh, yes. which has uh, Andy's witch Canadian witch trials post from last week, and we'll have uh, a post up a Halloween post on Halloween uh, by Lee. Yes, absolutely. And then uh, we don't know what we're gonna do for this week coming. So we're... no, well you're. No, this will be coming out after that. Oh, yeah. No, I don't know what it is. (laughs) It's Andy's turn after mine. Yeah. Uh, Also, other ways for you to connect with us, we have a Patreon page set up. Uh, Head over to them and just search the name of the show, or you can connect via the support tab on the website. There's lots of fun stuff coming to the not-so-secret-secret part of the website for patrons of the Velveteen tier and above. 
If you want to rep us out in the big wide world, we have our merch store set up at redbubble.com. You can just search our name there or find the links to the merch on our website. Also, if you want to take a couple minutes to give us a good rating or a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you're downloading your podcast, that would be wonderful. It helps with our visibility and getting our name out there into the world. So, thank you everybody for listening. Um, and remember, if you don't know where you're going, any road will take you there. Have a great day. Bye, guys.